Welcome to the Healthy Skin Show with Jennifer Fugo, where we're flipping everything you've been told about your chronic skin issues upside down and connecting you with alternative solutions your dermatologist never told you about. Welcome back to episode number 222 of the Healthy Skin Show. In today's episode, we are going to talk about what is slightly an alarming but really fascinating topic. So for the longest time, most things that I had read and heard of from experts said that the way that we become sensitized to food is predominantly through the gut. And so moms out there will know that there's this whole process of introducing allergens specifically to their child's diet with hopes that they will avoid causing sensitization. However, we know that the rates of allergies are increasing. New research is showing us that it's actually possible to become sensitized to food through the skin. So this blows a big hole in that initial assumption that the only way that children, young children, were becoming sensitized to allergens was solely through their food. And to add to this conversation, I did ask Dr. Peter Leo when I saw him in person at the Integrative Dermatology Conference if this could potentially apply to adults where you become sensitized to foods due to a compromised skin barrier. And he said that theoretically, it is absolutely possible that this could apply to adults. So it means that we do have to be very careful about what we put on our skin, especially when the skin barrier is compromised. So I'm going to be diving into this today with my guest. You might remember her since she's been on the show before, Jennifer Brand. She is a clinical and integrative nutritionist and also the founder of Jennifer Karen Brand Nutrition. She specializes in childhood skin rashes, eczema in particular, as well as working with clients, little clients, who have psoriasis, tinea versicolor, hives, acne, vitiligo, and more. And so Jennifer is extremely passionate about this particular topic, especially because her approach really does not focus on removing foods from the diet of little children, because she does not believe that at the end of the day, food is necessarily the number one root cause that we have to um, be on the lookout for. And in fact, she'd prefer to seek out the other root causes that you can actually do something about so that your children can ultimately make peace with food and enjoy a wide variety of food in their diet. And because I know that you totally want to hear all the research that Jennifer's going to discuss, let's dive into today's conversation. Thanks, Jen, so much for being back. I really appreciate you always as a guest and all of the knowledge that you bring to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I'm always happy to be here. I know, and you're the one that I love to talk to you about little ones, little kids who need so much help in figuring out what the heck is going on with their skin. And today we're actually talking about a topic that I've seen you talk a lot about on Instagram, and I knew nothing about any of these topics and found the conversation so fascinating. I was like, we should have this 
chat on the show. So today we're going to be talking about the connection between skin and skin rashes in conjunction with food allergies. So let's start off with a a few stats. I think it'd be helpful to ground the information in in statistics that will give parents especially, or parents-to-be, an idea of the frequency of this kind of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Statistics are always a great place to start. You can never go wrong once you start off with the data, right? Um, I do see a lot of skin and food allergies, of course. This is what I focus on in my practice. Um, When we're talking about skin allergies, that includes things like skin inflammation, eczema, hives, and contact-type allergies. So with When we get to the statistics here, 9.2 million children had skin allergies in 2018. Wow. Yeah. And kids between the ages of zero to four are most likely to have skin allergies. And many parents out there, I'm sure, are aware the most common food allergens are milk, soy, eggs, wheat, peanuts, tree nuts, fish, and shellfish. Um, about 32 million people actually have food allergies in the United States, and about 10, almost 11% of those are adults, and about 7, almost 8% are kids. Uh, milk is the most common allergen for children, followed by eggs and peanuts. Shellfish is actually the most common allergen for adults, followed by peanuts and tree nuts. Um, All of that said, one of the most interesting statistics I've come across in the literature is that two out of three kids with rashes do not have food allergies. But do not do not. So Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so kids with eczema, um, you know, rashes are more likely to have food allergies, but the majority of them actually do not. Hmm. Well, I know we're going to talk a little bit about how this can, you can become sensitized to things, but first let's start with the food piece. Like how, how do you develop a food allergy as a little baby? So, well, food allergies, they develop, there's different mechanisms behind this, but the most common way is where there are specific IgE antibodies. So IgEs are your like allergic reactions. Those are the ones that can turn into anaphylaxis when they're severe. So IgE antibodies trigger this cascade of immune reactions in the body. So they trigger certain cells like mast cells. I think a lot of people are probably familiar with mast cells as releasing histamine, Um, but these antibodies trigger other immune cells as well. All of these cells release different types of chemical messengers. Histamine's one of them, but there's cytokines, there's others. So what these chemical messengers then do is enlist the help of neighboring cells to start doing the same thing. So that's where this cascade of the reaction starts to happen. And this is where we start to get those symptoms um, throughout the body. So food allergy symptoms happen pretty much immediately. It's usually like a few minutes after eating a food, um, definitely within a few hours. And so what's happening with people with food allergies is that they actually have an increased absorption of food allergens in the gut. So this allows those allergens to cross over into the bloodstream where they trigger immune responses that lead to the symptoms. And this happens, this is where gut hyperpermeability or leaky gut comes into play. So this is one of the big reasons why, you know, when we're talking about allergic conditions, whether that's on the skin, food, et cetera, um, you know, we are talking about what's happening inside the body, like inside the gut. Mm. 
Now, is it possible to become sensitized to a food through the skin? Is that something that you have seen anything about in the literature? Yes. So this is really, really fascinating. And this one was really mind blowing to me. So what can happen? And this is particularly the case when we have a broken skin barrier. So when we have like that broken skin barrier, the skin immune function isn't as strong as our gut immune function. So we can come into contact, you know, airborne or, you know, touch the skin, um, you know, food allergens on the hands, on broken skin. This can sensitize someone to a food allergy so that when they then subsequently eat the food, they're going to have an allergic reaction to it. And so this is where it becomes really important um, and why a reason why the guidelines have changed. You know, we used to say, or practitioners used to say to keep out, you know, those main allergens of the diet until the child is, you know, this old. Um, but now we're seeing that if the child gets sensitized through the skin before the foods get in through the gut, they're more likely to develop a reaction, an allergy to those foods. So the goal is to get them in through the gut, in orally, introduce these foods first. So this becomes even more important to introduce those foods as, lo as long as there's not an already existing allergy, of course. But it becomes even more important to introduce those foods when we do have eczema. And and so it's really counterintuitive because we think, oh, we have eczema, so we need to keep all these foods out of the diet, you know, and if there's no allergies yet, you've got to introduce those foods. This is like kind of crazy when it's you think totally about it. It's totally like flipped. It's flipped. I know. Cause yeah. I, I was making a face because I was like, okay, this, A, I really feel for people who are listening to this because I could imagine that someone is like, oh, what? Huh? Like maybe I need to change course. Did I, did I possibly cause my child to develop these allergies? And that's not what we're trying to say, but I think to the science around this is still evolving and our knowledge around it is still evolving, but that is, so what you're saying, let me just make sure that I, I too understand this. So say your child has a broken skin barrier, right? So they have eczema, but you haven't yet introduced certain foods like maybe it could be something we'll see this is interesting because a lot a two a lot of products on store shelves so just the traditional conventional skin creams and things could have oats in them which could have also be contaminated with gluten right because that could be a way that you get wheat proteins into to the body they add sometimes they add wheat to these um moisturizers to thicken them up um there could be soy in them there could be all sorts of things like you could come into the child could come into contact with these potential proteins on the skin and because your body is meeting them in a way for the first time that is in a not I, I guess it's inappropriate but it's like the wrong way to get introduced <laughs> to someone yeah. essentially so it's a wrong way to get introduced to these proteins your body's like whoa alarm bells are going off it's a huge problem it looks like a burglar almost and in reality it should be something nourishing but your body because it's the wrong way it's like it's it's a it's a bad character in, yeah. in the whole story of what's going on. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. And it's it's so fascinating to me that you know to to find this research and to become aware of this is that skin barrier dysfunction really does precede the development of food allergies. 
Jen, can I ask you really quick, and it's fine if you don't know, did, was this specific to children or could this possibly happen to adults as well? I gonna, I don't recall the research paper if it was specific to children or adults. Um, it's okay. I know that's not your focus. It's like when no, people ask me questions about kids yeah. and I'm like, I don't know. I didn't look that. I didn't dig into that. I'll have to look. I'm just curious because that's an interesting. Too. Well, and I mean, yeah. any, we can develop allergies at any stage of mm-hmm. life. I mean, I certainly, I was not an allergic child. I had sensitive skin, but no allergies, you know, as an adult, you know, in the last number of years, I randomly get hives. I randomly get rashes, you know, so I've become allergic to things as I have aged. Um, and so it is always possible. So I, I would think that, um, with adults, too, it might be a little bit different if there's not mm-hmm. an existing food allergy. You know, they're already eating these foods. They've already been exposed to them. Less chance of it happening through the skin. Yeah. But, you know, again, too, so many people are on elimination diets and taking especially those main trigger foods out of the diet, often unnecessarily, you know, which could put them at risk for becoming sensitive to them over time. Right. Well, well, friends, TBD on this topic. <laughs> we don't we'll know. Check it out. We'll We'll check it out. So let's talk a little bit about, so we talked about the gut first and then we've kind of gone through like the skin barrier issue with triggering allergies, but could bacteria, so certain gut bugs that live in your GI tract, your small intestine and or colon, especially the colon, because it's mostly where our microbiome resides for the most part. Um, Is there any connection between the bacteria helping or harming or like making you more sensitive, so to speak, to potential food allergies? Yes. So there's a lot of research on this. So I can tell you about some of this different research. So um, there was a paper that I had found. It was from January 2019. And the title was literally, Do Gut Bacteria Prevent Food Allergy? So of course I saw that. I'm like, I got to read this, right? So (laughs) the study found that um, healthy infants have gut bacteria that actually helps prevent, if you will, food allergies or prevents them from developing. So what the researchers did, they took gut bugs from babies that had cow milk allergy or didn't have cow milk allergy, and then they transplanted that bacteria into mice with fecal samples. And so then the mice that got the gut bugs from babies without cow milk allergy did not have an allergic reaction when they were given milk, but the mice that got the gut bugs from the allergic infants had anaphylaxis when they were given milk. So, Whoa. yeah, so totally mind blowing. Um, so that that's one study that I thought was really interesting. Um, there's also been some research on, you know, for example, um, Clostridia is a good gut bug when, you know, it's in balance with everything else. And, and we're not talking about uh, Clostridia difficile, by the way, right, everybody. This is not different. C. diff different. This, yeah, this Clostridia is part of a um, class of good gut bugs that makes beneficial, beneficial metabolites. So what researchers found um, in this instance with Clostridia is that it's often 
low in people that have food allergies. And so a mechanism behind this is that good gut bugs, so like clostridia, make butyrate, which is a short-chain fatty mm -hmm. acid, and short-chain fatty acids help modulate inflammation and regulate what the immune system's doing. And so butyrate is really important to have, you know, adequate, sufficient levels of that um, because low levels have been found in people with eczema, which points to, you know, those people having lower levels of good gut bugs because they're not getting, you know, those short chain fatty acids like butyrate that are helping keeps helping keep the immune system strong. Yeah. Is there anything that you have done in practice? Because obviously you can't supplement with clostridium. That's not a as far as I know, I've never seen clostridium in a strain of as a strain of probiotics. Is there anything that you find to be helpful in children or little ones where you might see that on a stool test to try to help encourage the regrowth of clostridia species? So rather than focusing on just, okay, we need to regrow clostridia, you know, typically what I might see, I guess there's nothing typical when we look at these tests, but like what I might see, you know, if you have like an imbalance of your good flora, it might not just be clostridia that's low. You might have others that are low. Um, so what we really focus on is is the that group of bacteria as a whole and work to support their proliferation. So I, you always start with diet, you know. So are the right foods getting in? Of course, probiotic foods, fermented things like sauerkraut, kimchi, other fermented vegetables, prebiotic foods, which are like, you know, starchy vegetables, complex carbohydrates. So getting those in through the diet is a good place to start. Um, so you're saying that carbs are okay, Jen. I'm being real sarcastic here. So carbs are good for our... Carbs are actually good for the gut. I'm not talking about, you know, eating bowls and bowls of pasta all the time. You know, sweet potatoes are, right. you know, quinoa, um, brown rice. So those types of foods can be a very healthy part of an overall whole foods diet. And so what if mom or mom and dad or whomever was like, well, I've seen a lot, or maybe they personally have benefited from doing like carnivore. Is this an instance where carnivore, so you already have, you know, your child has this depletion of these important strains. Is this an instance where carnivore, for example, might actually not be a good idea? I'm going to go with yes, and I don't advocate <laughs> carnivore for my clients. Um, I know I've heard that people feel better when they go carnivore. Um, that to me begs the question, if you're eating healthy whole real foods, you know, fruits and vegetables, complex carbs, like good whole real foods, and you have symptoms of something, um, there's something happening internally as to why healthy whole real foods that you should be able to tolerate, you're not able to. Mm. Um, so taking them out of the diet, and this goes for any elimination diet, can make you feel better for a period of time. You're still not addressing the root cause of the issue. Now with carnivore, um, 
I so and there's there's a lot of research on this as well. I know we're not exactly talking about this part of it today, but high fat diets actually contribute to gut hyperpermeability or leaky gut, which is an underlying cause when we're talking about food allergies and rashes. And so something mm. like a carnivore diet can actually contribute to um, a worsening of those gut symptoms. Um, mm. So I think that's something that uh, needs to be undertaken with caution, especially with yeah, children. And also, yeah. And I, also too, they're, they're not going to have any of the starches that you need to ferment. It's, it's devoid. It's not like the bacteria will just thrive despite uh, its food source being missing. It will continue to deplete. Correct. Correct. Yeah. So, um, so now that we've touched on a bunch of different things, I did want to ask you one last question of something that you've taught, you've touched on. I feel like there's this whole thing. We assume that we're supposed to moisturize and you're not the first person to have questioned if it's especially in little ones that that may or may not be the right thing. I actually spoke with a pediatrician earlier today who made a similar statement as well. And she works with a lot of eczema cases. So what is it that you've seen in terms of problems that might come along with moisturizing rashy skin that parents might want to know about? Yeah, and this kind of takes me back. You mentioned the oats, like, you know, products that have oats in them and such, because I have seen um, a number of my clients sensitive to oats, like even gluten-free oats, but they're sensitive to these things. Um, so regular moisturizer does not prevent eczema. I mean, it can help soothe um, and protect the skin barrier, but it doesn't prevent eczema. And it can actually promote sensitization through the skin and the development of food allergies. Mm -hmm. So we were talking about, right, how food allergy can develop through the skin when somebody gets sensitized to it. So what can happen is that, and, and there's some different mechanisms for how moisturizing can actually, you know, make these types of things worse. But so moisturizers might allow substances like including allergens to pass through the skin barrier more easily. You know, they can different, um, different, um, like elements, you know, bind different things and like can make it easier to get absorbed into the skin. So that can happen when you moisturize um, with certain allergens. Parents, when they're, you know, moisturizing their kid or their baby, maybe they just ate something or were in the kitchen doing something and they have food allergens on their hand and now they're rubbing all over baby, you know, and the moisturizer might also be allowing those substances to enter the skin more easily. Um, and so some people actually too can be more susceptible to this happening when they have a flagrin gene mutation. Flagrin is that oh. gene that helps build and repair the skin barrier. Yeah. And so, you know, so, so things that you can do, you know, not saying don't moisturize, but don't use food-based um, products, you know, for example, like even I for a long time was recommending things like sunflower seed oil or, you know, people use olive oil on the skin, you know, all of these like food oils can actually lead to sensitization. So, 
don't use those. <laughs> and, you know, parents, if you're going to moisturize your child with whatever you're going to use, wash your hands first. And then, of course, also, like we mentioned before, we want to get these allergenic foods into baby before there's an opportunity to get sensitized to the mm. skin. So, you know, really, like when baby is ready for solids, which tends to be on average about six months old, um, when you start introducing those other solid foods, include the allergens, you know, a little bit at a time. There's some guidelines on this. I know people can, you're going to direct them to my website. And if anybody has any questions, they can yeah. reach out. But I do have some resources there about these allergy, you know, allergenic food introductions. Um, but um, yeah, so we definitely want to get these in through the gut first and not use food-based products on the skin. So, so I know parents are going to be like, but wait, if I'm not supposed to use these what like do you have any suggestions then of some moisturizer i know this is like the tricky question but i know that's what i'm gonna get asked i know and that's the hard tricky part so based on the literature they talk about trilipid skin barrier creams creams that have ceramides um cholesterol like free fatty acids so similar things that are similar to like the ph and the fat makeup of the skin um i know you have a great product line a lot of my clients use uh the quell products Mm -hmm. um and have some really good results with those i've had some great results from um some of my clients using emu oil for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also, and do you still recommend the Indigo Calm Balm? It's on my people? list. I, I, my, it's on my topicals list, and some people do find that helpful, too. Um, mm-hmm. I'm start- and they do have they do have a version just for everybody when you if you go to her, uh, the website for Indigo Calm Balm, they have a no oats. You can select no oats if you want no oats added to your um, product because she does like have different formulations. Yeah, she does some of the custom. She does a little mm-hmm. bit of customization. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then another one that um, some of my clients have had good results with is beef tallow. And then always, you know, sometimes natural doesn't necessarily do the trick. And, you know, in cases like that, um, I do always like to let parents know if you are in a pickle and your little one is uncomfortable, he or she does not have to struggle and suffer. Um, You know, if you, I'm the, the bad words, steroid creams, you know, if you're uncomfortable, if your child's uncomfortable and you need to break the glass in case of an emergency, use that prescription cream. You know, I, I don't think people need to suffer through. Um, so that, no, that's an option I, too I think, for short term use. I think sometimes too, also we, so at least I found, and I don't know if this is with children, sometimes um, we confuse just a flare. We say, oh, well, they're flaring. And in reality, they have a skin infection Yes, and actually need like an actual antibiotic or something like that. So I think it's important to educate oneself on what does a skin infection look like and ask for help when that happens, because a topical steroid's probably not going to really do that much. Um, and then obviously being cautious and judici- judicious and also talking to your doctor. I think that's where sometimes having a partnership with like at least having someone to go back and ask questions of. And if, like you said, in case of an emergency, um, 
and and doing all the things instead of just saying I'm only going to do the one thing or the two things like there's a lot of different things that you can do to help support the skin barrier it sounds like from diet all the way through to like the different starches you expose your child to and ourselves um, but also how you're approaching that developing skin barrier in a little one which is so important so of course we always have the supplements to resolve those internal imbalances as well and we want the food-based approach where possible but you know I always have clients on a probiotic which is based on their specific testing maybe a prebiotic depends what's happening in there but you know diet first that's why supplements are called supplements they're supplemental but often more often than not I find that they're needed to help resolve the root cause of the problem yeah Perfect. Well, everybody can find Jennifer at jenniferkarenbrand.com. I will put your links and everything in our show notes for this episode. That way everybody can get in touch with you and connect with you, especially since you're the person. Whenever I get a request for a little one or a kid, I send them to Jen. Thank you very so, much. So hi everyone. This is who. <laughs> this is who is on exactly. the emails. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so um, I, I'm so glad Jen, you were able to join us today, and I look forward to doing another one of these. I'm, sh- I'm sure you will be back. I hope so. I always enjoy talking with you. Thanks so much for having me. I am so glad Jennifer agreed to come on the show to talk about this. I've seen her discuss this topic a couple of times on Instagram, and I was like, we need to have this discussion on the Healthy Skin Show because I know that moms and grandmoms and all of you who are trying to advocate, especially for your little ones, you want to hear this. So if you loved this episode and you want to learn more, especially from Jennifer, I encourage you to head on over to skinterrupt.com forward slash 222. There you can find Jennifer's information as well as all the links and you can leave a comment or thought there as well. That way we can keep the conversation going. And I would encourage you to please share this information with moms, especially moms. I know that I had mentioned in the beginning that this can be a factor for adults. There's not, from my understanding, as much research right now in adults, but there is research in children and this should be something that helps to inform parents of a better way forward to support their little ones, especially in introducing allergenic foods. And before you head off for your day, please take a moment, rate and review the Healthy Skin Show, then hit the subscribe button. That way you never miss a weekly dose of our research, inspiration, tips, clients' stories and successes, as well as those alternative strategies that help you rebuild healthy skin. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you in the next episode.